Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Speaking basketball podcast, my name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. Today we are doing the most improved players of the 2020 season. That's right. My list of the players who have improved the most. We'll tell you about the criteria in a little bit, but basically material changes that impact teams in terms of how guys have improved this season from not just last season, but sort of where they were as players. So if they were injured or they had a down year, I take that into account. And that's what we're going to do today. If you haven't heard it before the season began, Danny LaRue and I did a podcast on the Thinking Basketball podcast. It was about forecasting who we thought our most likely breakout candidates would be for this season. And we had different approaches, which is exactly what I wanted. But if you haven't heard that episode, the idea for me was to look at, get deeper into the statistical indicators. Now we have a wider body of numbers and tracking information than 10 or 15 years ago when I played more in the college analysis space and things like that. This is something that I wanted to come back and revisit. And so in doing that, you end up with a list of guys who are likely candidates, and I sort of pulled my top breakout candidates from that list with those ideas in mind. But I thought this, before we kicked off, it'd be a great opportunity to continue to reflect on what those indicators are and sort of hits and misses and things like that. And one of the names that jumped out at me when I looked at my list was Marvin Bagley. Now, the the quick answer is like, okay, Marvin Bagley hasn't improved this year in any meaningful way, at least on the court. He's only played a few hundred minutes because of injury. But I, I think that, at least for me, that misses an opportunity at a piece of learning, which is the interaction between the coach and the player and the type of player. And so in this case, Bagley's going into his second season. He's got some defensive question marks, both as a rookie, but then going back to Duke. And Luke Walton is a more defensively inclined coach. A lot of people don't really talk about that with him because he was in Los Angeles and there was a, you know, all sorts of wild dramatic noise going on there and things like that. But uh, I think Luke, as a young coach, has had a lot of struggle on offense or developing young players, but he seems to get a decent amount out of sort of defensive lineups or basically defense in general. And that enters, you know, Rashawn Holmes into the conversation or someone like that, where you say, here's a guy with potentially a little more defensive upside, defensive skills or um, attributes, physical attributes. And so he comes in and kind of flourishes. He's not going to be on my most improved player list here today, but just an interesting piece of learning. It's possible that Bagley still continues to grow. It's likely that he still continues to grow uh, even in light of this injury. But I do think that was something that jumped out to me when he was healthy 
the difference between where you can just desire a player to go versus where the coach and his tendencies, uh, especially with young players, will put him. There are other players, other coaches in the league who sort of famously butt heads with younger players. And I think that's something to keep in mind when thinking about the opportunities that guys get. Like take Jaron Jackson in Memphis. He's struggled. He's regressed a little on defense, in my opinion. Hasn't really held the he's, he's put on a little extra weight he's obviously going to fill out he was so young when he came into the league but this season as he's put on that weight I think he's been a little slower with his reactions and his footwork he's obviously still integrating so much about the game and so fouling is still a problem fouling is even uh, more of a problem in a way than it was last year so maybe other coaches just have you ride the pine and don't try to organize minutes around you. Don't try to encourage your three-point shooting and your spacing. And instead of what's happened in Memphis, which is maybe some regression or growing pains on defense, but hey, you're ahead of the curve on offense and we're using you as a weapon, an unorthodox weapon. Instead of that, maybe, especially if he's like the 10th or 15th pick in the draft or the 8th pick or something like that, maybe you're just shelved to the bench. So that was one learning for me in terms of thinking about how uh, specific players interact with specific coaching tendencies based on their current strengths and weaknesses. Another guy who won't be on this list from that list for me was Jonathan Isaac. I'm just going to leave him off for injury sakes, unfortunately, uh, but he probably would have made this list for me. He was indeed looking like he made that defensive jump, and I don't think this list gets enough defensive credit from year to year. I really don't. Um, the idea that most improved player is about whose scoring average or whose points per game jump the most is a mini tragedy to me. It's not a full tragedy. It's a, it's a small tragedy, uh, because basically not only is it rewarding all that scoring blindness that I talk about in thinking basketball, the book and the scoring centric focus of the game, but there are guys who, are really, really good because of their defensive jumps who kind of go under the radar because it's it's historically not precedented to give a guy most improved player love when he averages seven points per game one year and seven points per game the next. A historical example here would be Ben Wallace, who finished fifth in the defensive player of the year race in the year 2000, as he sort of started to uh, gain traction, excuse me, 2001, it's his first year in Detroit, is what I'm referencing. And he finished with uh, six Defensive Player of the Year votes that year. And in Most Improved Player, he received a total of zero votes. Correction, one vote. One vote out of 124. 2002, Wallace wins the Defensive Player of the Year. With 116 votes going away, Kevin Garnett was second. And then in most improved player, he finished second with 16 votes. Jermaine O'Neal was first with 52 votes, Steve Nash third. So, I mean, that's about as close as I've seen a defensive guy getting love. And this is four-time defensive player of the year. This is a multi-time all-star. This is a guy who, of course, should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Not sure what's taking so long on that. But defensive guys generally don't get credit. That will not be the case here today. 
as of course it is about your overall impact and your improvement and overall impact. And so defense will play a role with some of these guys entirely. And some of these guys I'm looking at two-way impact. That'll certainly come up. Uh, one more guy before I, we do the entire criteria, uh, and then I'll get to the list. The other guy that I looked at who sort of made my final cut, but I had, going back looking at my notes, I had question marks about, but I th- just thought it was a great player to reflect on, is Aaron Gordon in Orlando. Aaron Gordon was sort of like, he's sort of like a Swiss army knife as a basketball player. He does a little of everything, but nothing very well. And so my question, my note to myself was, where is the improvement going to come from? And I think that is something that I'm going to stick with. Every once in a while, you have a guy make a random shooting leap. And sometimes that's a little more predictable if you look at prior indicators or you look at his stroke or his ability to learn as a sponge. But outside of that, I think the the key thing is what specifically is going to improve. This is why I've done work on uh, playmaking improvements. This is why I've done work on scoring improvements. So that's something that I'm going to carry forward into next season and future seasons. Okay, the criteria. What are the criteria? Well, the big challenge when you look at most improved players, how you thought about the guy before. I mean, it's a moving target for most of us because we're not going to agree completely on where we were on the guy before. And I think that's okay. I won't belabor that, but I will try to hammer home how I thought of a player in the past and why that changes how much I think he improved. In general, I am interested in material growth. So jumping into the top 50 or even that kind of like, you know, that sub all-star range. We'll get to the sub all-stars next week. I'm psyched for that. But just getting into that range is significantly better than going from like the 250th best player to the 150th best player. Because not only are you usually going to have more impact, but your impact starts to carry a little bit more championship equity as you go higher and higher up the ladder. So that's one big thing for me. An example there, an honorable mention example there would be someone like Dante DiVincenzo, who was a very deep bench player last year as a rookie, probably wouldn't have got a lot of minutes in most places. And this year he's been a pretty solid bench player, and especially that defensive improvement is notable. If you haven't seen him hawk guys out on the perimeter, uh, he is sort of a thorny pain in the butt as a defender right now, but not a huge material change. So he'll be an honorable mention for me. Another guy in that group maybe that you could put in there, someone who's coming along now who I really liked going back to his brief time at USC is uh, DeAnthony Melton, another Memphis player. I did, of course, a couple five thoughts on some Grizzlies in the latest uh, Thinking Basketball YouTube video. So DeAnthony Melton, again, a guy who's starting to show signs of like, hey, you can be a piece off the bench, you can play good minutes, you can go in and do good stuff. But, you know, even if he was like the 380th best player in the league last year or something like that, that is that doesn't do it as much for me as getting to higher and higher levels. So the next level, I guess, would be going from like a slightly below average player to becoming a positive player, becoming a top 100, top 80 player, something like that. Assuming your growth is real and not just an illusion of circumstance, not just all of a sudden you're on a team where you get more wide open shots. An honorable mention for me here might be Tim Hardaway Jr. Speaking of guys that isn't an illusion, well, 
to me, if his shot accuracy is real, if that's legit, then yeah, this is a good honorable mention kind of guy. Now, now you're talking about a sneaky, solid role player. He's coming in, he's shooting well. His last three seasons before arriving in Dallas this year, I guess he arrived last year, but this year in Dallas, uh, his last three seasons, he was 37, 38% on his wide open threes, according to the way NBA.com categorizes that, six plus feet of space. Fairly consistent in that range in those three seasons. This year, he's at 46%. His shot looks a little better to me. The way he's getting into his shot looks stronger to me. It just looks better out of his hand and the whole thing. And so, okay, if that's legit, then you have a guy, is he a top 50 basketball player? No, not to me. So that's that's sort of an, another category of improvement that matters, but generally isn't going to move the needle as much. Now, then the then you get to even bigger stuff where maybe you be go maybe you go from being like a, the 80th best player to the 45th best player. Now that can start to be material growth. And of course, the biggest is when you just jump into that All NBA or MVP level block. If you were like the 40th best player in the league and then you become the 10th, that's usually enormous. So that's sort of how I stack it up, giving precedent to each of those categories more and more based on the order I just laid out. Speaking of player development, I wanted to properly shout out the athletic piece this time by Britt Robson. I I mistakenly said this piece that I was thinking of was about John Krasinski over at The Athletic, and he's been writing a lot of great stuff on Minnesota in the NBA recently as well. But the piece on David Vanderpool essentially becoming Minnesota's defensive coordinator this season was by Britt Robson at The Athletic. The Athletic is kind enough to sponsor today's podcast. And if you head over to theathletic.com slash thinkingbasketballpod, you get a free week trial, 50% off. It's really one of the best ways to support this podcast. There's a couple big things you can do. You can sign up over at patreon.com slash thinking basketball. You can give us a rating and review wherever you listen. That helps bump up popularity and all that stuff. But showing sponsors some love, showing sponsors that you listen, continuing those relationships. It's a huge way to help. And as I've said many times, I love The Athletic. I use it basically every morning. You customize your app. You get all the writers you you want. Uh, They have insiders. They've got Shams. They've got... David Aldridge, they've got guys with front office experience that I read constantly, John Hollinger, Seth Part now. Check them out if you're interested. Theathletic.com slash thinking basketball pod. You get 50% off and a free week trial. Okay. Without further ado. 2019-2020. Most improved players. I couldn't get this down to 10 cleanly. You know, I talked about some of the categories a second ago, and I couldn't really get it down to 10. Uh, The top seven or eight guys I feel a little bit more strongly about. But there were a dozen guys I wanted to talk about. So at number 12, or sort of on the outskirts of, you know, the, the core guys, is Malcolm Brogdon. Because the question is, how much better is Malcolm Brogdon this year than he was last year? I thought fairly highly of him last year probably a top 75 player looking back at my notes he was close to he was in my sub all-star conversation he had some injuries did a lot of things well for Milwaukee and now he goes to Indiana 
And the question is, you know, is he an all-star level player? Probably not for me. I imagine given everything that he's done for the Pacers, Indiana fans may disagree there strongly. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm sure they'll let me know. But uh, he, he just had shifted how he's played, and that's the reason I wanted to talk about him. Because he was actually better in models, in these sort of uh, all-in-one metric models last year. And yet this year, he has one of the largest increases in offensive load in the league, uh, plus 16 in offensive load. It's the second largest increase in the NBA this season. His passing and playmaking game has absolutely spiked. And you can see the style. He's, he's, he's on ball more. He's playing more. He's taking more long pull-up jumpers. He's got that quick pull-up jumper that he likes. And then only about 20% of his shots at the rim are assisted. So it's way more drives. He's not getting easy stuff from his teammates. How do you balance all that? He's creating way more opportunities for everyone. How do you balance that? Is he materially better? Could he have done this last year? Is it a little bit of both? I think he got a little bit better. I think his on-ball stuff is a little bit better. But let's let's keep in mind what he did in Milwaukee and how he played in Milwaukee and where he added value. His numbers, his shooting efficiency numbers are going to go down a little bit because he's not getting the easy stuff. Another thing about playing that mid-floor game when you're on-ball is you don't get to really spot up in the three uh, in the corner for three very often. So his percentage of corner threes goes down as a share of his overall threes and his efficiency suffers as a result. And so it's like you look at him in his scoring game, flat lines, but he's completely playing a different style and role and helping the Pacers do it. For me, at the end of the day, where, where does that leave me? Is he a top 35 player? I don't think so. But it's enough that you know, it's like, ah, I don't know, maybe Malcolm was not a not a sub all-star last year, and I think as you'll see next week, he will be a sub all-star this year. Uh, this is a teaser. I'm not gonna give you too many. <laughs> some of some of these guys, of course, are obvious or inevitable. Um, but uh, I have him penciled in as of now in that that top fifty top fifty team who's not quite an all-star. The other big guy I wanted to talk about, well, there's two maybe, but the other big one in this name is Pascal Siakam. And Pascal Siakam, plus 10 in offensive load, another huge jump. His scoring spikes from whatever it is, 17 per game to 23, 24 per game now. But his efficiency has gone way down with the additional usage. He's lost eight percentage points in true shooting. That's enormous. And so you see a guy who's added some off-the-dribble stuff. He's added the pull-up stuff. His above-the-break three is better. Those things are all materially important. We know that. That pushes him. That gives him a little bit more oomph as an offensive player. And so the stats would have changed anyway if he didn't have this. But how much better is he as an offensive player? Do you want him to be your number one guy on a high-level offense? Probably not. Uh, he's still kind of fit as an offensive player, I think, to be a second or third kind of weapon on a very high-level offense, championship-type offense. So to me, I see some improvement in Pascal's offense. I do. That that starts getting you more and more closer to the top. But remember, I was huge on Pascal last year. I was very high on him. I thought he was an all-star player 
right out of the gate. He was my he will always be my first ever thinking basketball YouTube subject for a reason. His improvement and his play last year really jumped off the page to me. And so does going from like a top 30 player to wherever he ends up at the at the end of the year for me, top 20 or 23, whatever. I don't think he's going to be a top 15 player, though. And the other thing and why I wanted to tease the idea of defense earlier is defense is such a big component here. As you ramp up your offense, what happens to your defense? Do you lose some of the energy? Do you lose some of the focus? Not everybody has unlimited motor. Not everybody can scale up their offensive load while continuing to play the same defense. And I actually think Siakam's defense was clearly better last season. Now, I don't think he's become a bad defender, but it's like you add a little to the offense, you shave a little in the defense, you try to recontextualize the team because the roles are a little different. And again, he's here because I think he's better. But just going, oh, he's had one of the largest points per game increases in the league, therefore he should be the most improved player in the top three, that doesn't hold water to me based on assessing his overall game. But I, I, these guys are tricky because I don't know I don't know the answer because I thought they were good last year and then they've improved, but things have changed. It's a cloudier picture. That's my point. One more guy in this category. I had him unofficially number 10, and then we'll kind of get to my top eight or nine. Devin Booker. Devin Booker is a guy I think has improved. Maybe even more clearly than the two guys behind him. So if I had to have a top 10 list, I would start it with Booker. Booker has improved by 1.4 points in my box plus minus model. He's improved by 2.6 points in Jacob Goldstein's PIPM model. As you'll hear as we go through those players, those are solid numbers that kind of put you in this conversation. His offense, I love more of his activity off the ball on offense. I think his defense has shown more signs. And for me, yet a guy who didn't make my sub all-star team last year, I did a deep dive on him over the summer there's a lot to like in terms of skill set. There's a, a decent amount not to like overall. And then he comes in this season and he's fitting off the ball better. He's moving off the ball better. His shooting continues to get better. He's incredibly skilled as an offensive player. And I think now we have to consider Devin Booker as a more serious kind of star-like fixture in the NBA. I'm not saying he's a top 20 player. Obviously, I'd have him higher. But I do think there's been improvement, clear improvement from last year to this year. And when you start scaling up into the you know, top 50, top 40, top 30, wherever, as I said, that carries more and more championship equity and weight on good teams. At number nine for me, now we're going to get into the defensive stuff. I'm excited about this. At number nine for me is a Danny LaRue special. He called him out in that podcast for some of these very specific reasons, and that is Royce O'Neal. So let's start with offense. Royce O'Neal has been better on offense this year because his decision-making and his spot-up shooting have been better. He's been better making extra passes, and his three-point shooting is up to 43% on low volume, those catch-and-shoot opportunities that he gets in Utah. So now you say, okay, can he be a good 3 and D player? Well, the other side of being a good 3 and D player is you have to be good on D. Royce O'Neal's been really good on defense for me this year. And he's going to get a bunch of all defensive votes from the coaches 
because the type of stuff he does on defense isn't necessarily hidden backline paint rotations or whatever. He is incredibly strong, uses that to get up into the ball, guard multiple positions, switch up and down. Uh, I've been really impressed with him on defense. And so you have a guy who, by the way, uh, improvement of almost two points in my box plus minus model that comes on offense because that type of model, my box plus minus model or any sort of classical box score model is going to be way fuzzier on defense. But then you look at something like PIPM, which is capturing defense, uh, quote unquote defense with the, with the plus minus sort of, um, component of that model, my brain fell asleep there. Sorry about that. Uh, the the plus minus is going to capture defense more, and he's got a huge jump in PIPM, up three three over three points to plus two as a player. And so now, when you look at Royce O'Neal, uh, he's like a top sixty player. He is indeed yes, right in front of me. He is a top sixty player in Raptor PIPM and my box model. And this is a guy, I'm not saying he's a top 50 or 60 player. I'm not saying uh, that he's going to make my sub-all-star team next week. But this is a guy who I'm not even sure he was a top 200 player last season. And now he's become, like, I like Royce O'Neal. I'll admit it. At number eight, a very similar situation. Again, this is where the sort of quirkiness of doing most improve comes into play. Because you say, like, well, how did I evaluate them last year? And then who made a bigger jump? Very similar situation with OG Ananobi in Toronto. And he's my number eight. Plus 2.3 in my box, plus minus model. It's a little bigger than Royce. Plus five in Jacob Goldstein's PIPM. Now, PIPM thinks Royce O'Neal's a better player. But again, OG coming from the, not even from the wings, from the bowels of the stadium out of nowhere coming as a as a deep bench player. Now, I think on other teams last season, would he have been as deep on the bench? Probably not. And that's where I'm, you're splitting hairs. Who's Who goes higher here on my ballot? I don't know. That's not, that's not the point of the exercise. Um, I, could, I could go either way. I have no idea. But the point is to talk about where the growth comes from. And for me, Ananobi specifically this year, sturdier on defense, uh, obviously, that comes from experience playing with Nick Nurse, learning some of the responsibilities there. And then on offense, three-point shot's a little better. He's up to 36% from downtown. And then he's attacking closeouts better out of those opportunities. And he does that nicely. This is not someone who you know, you're looking at right now as he's going to be a star, but three and D making smart decisions, hitting shots, athletic enough to attack closeouts with some verve at a playoff level. I'm excited to see him in the playoffs. Number seven for me is Shea Gilgis Alexander. And now we're starting to get into the more meteor material stuff. Shea, uh, again, almost plus two point increase in my box plus minus model. About half of that comes from offense. Plus two in Jacob Goldstein's PIPM model, up to uh, about plus one in that stat this year. What's happened to him? So he's improved by six points per 75 possessions in the scoring column. Playing way more, obviously, has doubled his scoring load per game, basically. 
now with a much larger role in Oklahoma City. Plays some on-ball stuff, and then, of course, his off-ball little uh, sharing the court with Chris Paul. His efficiency's gone up in addition to this higher usage role. Here's the one I love. Plus two free throw attempts per every 75 possessions. So he's he's filling out a little bit more. He's using his size. He's using his shoulders. And again, the, really the point of this exercise, and I carry it over in my historical work and the historical comparisons, when I say compare a guy to himself within a season in the Great Debates podcasts, this is the kind of stuff that matters to me. Because your circumstance will change your signal. Your circumstance will change your points per game. It can even change your plus minus depending on who your backups are and who else is on the team and what the team needs. And those stats in general are great indicators, but they're, they're, there's a fuzziness to them. And if we can drill down and say, like, well, what actually material changed, materially changed about this guy's game, I, I think there's value in that. And Shea's getting to the line more. Uh, because of his ability to impart pressure with his size and his handle. I, I love his handle. Obviously did a recent video on him on the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel. You can check that out. But he's got the little step back, little pull up. He's kind of starting to put things together. I can see more room for growth. But this year, my number seven. Number six, and this guy was hard because he came, he was another guy who sort of came from nowhere and yet has made an enormous jump, more probably than guys like Ananobi and Royce O'Neal, but I still don't think of him as like a star-level player, and that's Devontae Graham. And Devontae Graham will probably rate higher in the final most improved player ballots because of his raw numbers jump and because there's sort of less of a concern that he's playing on a, a really poor team and things like that. But Devontae Graham, plus two in my box plus minus model from a year ago. Again, plus two, so not like plus six. It didn't think he was terrible. Plus three in Jacob Goldstein's PIPM takes him to a plus one player. Doesn't look like a top 50 player in any of these metrics. But the big one for him, of course, is just roll and a massive jump in offensive load, one of the, one of the bigger jumps, plus 14. So now he does way more heavy lifting. And I think that by itself, and I talked about it with Malcolm Brogdon, something to consider, especially with a young guy like Graham, like you're putting him out there and saying, hey, carry this off. Even if it's not a great offense, carry this offense. The raw stats, incredibly good. Plus eight points per 75, plus 8% relative true shooting to the league. Shot creation is up. Most of this, though, and the reason why he's not higher for me and why I just don't think of him more highly as a player. I like Graham, by the way. I just don't think of him as like a star-type player despite the big outburst this year. Most of this is from his shooting. So he's improved by 11% on his three-point shooting. Taking a bunch, taking him from deep, taking him all over. I had a five-thoughts spot on his shooting earlier this year. And he still has a negative overall shooting efficiency relative to league average because he doesn't get he doesn't really get to the rim. He doesn't get to the rim. He doesn't finish at the rim. Uh, it's not like he can get into the mid-range and kill you in the mid-range. And so, yes, that shooting and that deep bombing opens up a lot, but I'm not sure how much I love it as an off-ball piece. I'm not sure. Like, if he's on a really good team, 
is he the backup point guard if you have good on-ball players? I've said this before. I think he would help a team like Philadelphia, who needs a guard. He could help a team like the Lakers, because Graham can pass as well. But enough about him. Uh, general idea, he's had a large improvement. If you think even more highly of him as a player, or you thought lower of him a year ago, then he's probably going to be in your top five. And I do think he will be in a lot of top fives, or top threes, um, when we see the final most improved player standings at the end of the season. The official award. Number five, at number five, is Jalen Brown. And I have a player profile coming up on him. I'm excited to get that out. So, again, you could refine a little bit after that. That always happens for me. It's usually a little shift in one direction or the other after going deep under the hood for a player. But Jalen Brown, a guy who has had a nearly two-point improvement in my offensive box model, uh, nearly a three-point improvement in his overall box plus minus in that model. And his first step is the thing that really jumped out to me, almost going back to the summer with FIBA, but preseason and early season with the Celtics. He's getting to the basket more. His rim finishing is up to 65%. And that comes with a drop in assisted rim field goal percentage. So that's more of him. And it's not just attacking closeouts. He's got a little mid-range jumper that he's more comfortable sprinkling in. I think that helps keep defenses off balance. So the mid-range is slightly better. He's getting to the basket more. His free throw percentage is way up. It's up 9%. And his three-point shooting has been more accurate, up 4%. And the question with some of those shooting indicators, including going back to Devontae Graham, including another guy that we'll get to in a minute, the question always is, is it a fluke or is it real? Is it here to stay? Well, Jalen is a guy to me, if you look at the mechanics, if you look at his arc and growth as a shooter and a player, you think about the fact that seems to be a pretty bright, studious guy, so he's wanting to get in and learn. And it's not just about learning with repetition in life or with sports or anything. It's about learning smart, learning the right way. Practice, you know, they used to say practice makes perfect. But perfect practice makes perfect. It's the, it's the smart practice that helps. And so I tend to think when I put all of that uh, you know, into my abacus and, and let it fly, the answer that comes up is, yeah, I think he probably is continuing to grow as a shooter. You see it with the mid-range and the free throw line. And so I'm thinking that's a little stickier. He is a good defender. He continue, I, don't, I don't know how much he's grown as a defender, but his offensive growth to me just starts to get him in this conversation of like, is he an all-star? I'm not saying he's an all-star. If you are a Patreon subscriber and you've followed along this season with my player all-star power rankings from month to month, you kind of have a, a pretty good feel of where I'm at on guys like him. And so the point here, the larger point is just you're talking about this player as an all-star. You're talking about this guy as maybe being a top 30 or 35 player in the league. And I don't think he didn't make my sub all-star team last year. And he really wasn't in, you know, much consideration for me. If I, I remember correctly, I could double check my notes, but he wasn't one of the guys I was agonizing at 55 or 60 or 65. So that kind of improvement is essentially just a little bit more of the Devin Booker profile. And like I said, to a degree, you're, 
you're splitting hairs here. Maybe Booker should be a little higher. Maybe Jalen should be a little lower. I'm not sure. I think I thought more highly of Booker last year, and that's why Jalen's growth to me is a little bigger this season. No qualms if you want to drop him a couple spots, though. Let's get to the top four. These are the guys that I think I feel a little bit, and if you're following along out there thinking, like, who's in the top four? You think you have it nailed down. You might. You might have the top four nailed down because these are guys I feel a little bit stronger about, I think, in being on the top part of this list than the bottom part of this list. And at number four for me is Brandon Ingram. Ingram is going to be another guy who's going to be very high on most improved player ballots at the end of the season. But Ingram, there's a little Siakam in in terms of what I talked about with Pascal earlier, and that is that his defense to me has been less effective as his offense has improved. And the circumstance of his offense going to a team that is kind of a little bit of a mess this season and there's a lot of new young moving parts and he's going to get on-ball responsibility and he gets often to play into mismatches by going after fours. Whereas in the past he was really just playing guard or wing in Los Angeles. Now, what has that done, in my opinion? I think it's made his defense less valuable. I don't think he's been... He's just not a guy who I think can handle bigger players or has great post presence or paint help right now as a defender. He's better on the perimeter. He's better mucking up the nail, the passing lanes. Uh, When he's really engaged at times, I thought he had the potential to get into ball handlers. But that hasn't been there this year for me. So instead, you see these big scoring numbers, but I think there's been a decline on defense to match that. Now, the thing to be said about Ingram, of course, is he may be having the greatest shooting improvement from one season to the next in NBA history. I I mean, this is crazy what has happened right now. He is up 18% from the free throw line. He's shooting like 86-87% from the free throw line. That is rarefied air. That is seriously impressive. And then plus 7% from three-point range, but on the volume improvement as well. And at a certain point last fall, I went through some of the greatest shooting improvements in league history. I've talked about it with him in Five Thoughts. He's basically, now he's down to 39%. I put the target in that Five Thoughts video to begin the season when he came out of the gate just bombing threes, I put sort of that target at 38%. And it looks like he's headed right toward it. But the point is, even at 38 39%, with the improvement in volume and the 18% at the free throw line, uh, we're talking about one of the great, if not the greatest, single season shooting improvements. And so you look at his shot... Consider Fred Vincent and the work he's done with Lonzo Ball. You look at how soft that thing is. I wouldn't want to leave him open a lot. Let's put it that way. And he does work the mid-range better. It's helped his playmaking. It's not that big of an improvement as a passer, but he's learning to balance the playmaking with his scoring threat. He does have legit scoring threat. It's a good improvement. This is a guy who, again, we talk about as an all-star player, very similar to Jalen Brown to me in that, where he was a year ago versus how we talk about him now. Whether you think 
higher or lower in 2019 on one of those players, and then higher or lower in 2020 on one of those players will slightly change where you place them in a most improved player exercise. But for me, they're right there. Okay, number three, Trey Young for me. Trey Young plus two in my box plus minus model. Most of it comes on offense. Plus two in Goldstein's PIPM. Most of it comes from offense. By the way, those are very similar to Ingram's improvements. I glossed over that. He was plus two four, plus two three, plus two two in the kind of stats we've talked about here. So Trey, why do I think Trey is sort of at the top of this group? To me, he's demonstrated the ability to be a high-level quarterback, to play that heliocentric model where everything revolves around him. Check this out. Plus eight points per 75 from Trey Young. He's done that this year while improving his efficiency by 5%. It's true shooting percentage. Now, I know those numbers are slightly inflated because his first you know two months in the league last year were an aberration and he was a mess and his shot was a mess. And so they kind of accentuate the difference between where he was as a legit player in April. And I factored that in. But the bigger one to me is just the load, the the reads on offense, the fact that if he had decent weapons around him or better weapons around him, I am banking on the idea that they would be really good as an offense. The defense still leaves a lot to be desired. But he was not a top 50 player at the end of the year last year to me. He was probably not a top 60 player. I would have to go back and check my notes. But now he's not only more like an all-star type player, but I'm just more intrigued. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he's actually a really good player playing a style that is just surrounded by kind of a mess. But again, I don't know. You could go, you could put Ingram here and drop Trey down. Maybe that's more prudent thinking about how I how I see these guys. Yeah, maybe Ingram's had a bigger jump. Okay. All right, you've talked me into it. You've convinced me. We'll do we'll do Trey 5, Jalen Brown 4, Ingram 3. I don't know. Like I said, you're splitting hairs. This the point is they're kind of in this ballpark. Trey, by the way, getting to the line way more this season. Almost three more free throws every 75 possessions. That's a big indicator for me. And so third, fourth, fifth, who knows? Number two, why did I enumerate this? Uh, number two, he says, why do I enumerate it? And then he says number two. Uh, number two, Bam Adebayo. And that is another Danny LaRue callout. He was one of his highest candidates of the year for some of the reasons I'm about to talk about. He's drastically improved his load as both his playmaking and his scoring have improved. He gets to the line more, uh, nearly two extra free throws per 75 possessions. He creates more shots. His little secondary transition passing, all of that has come a little bit more into focus. It's a, it's a bunch of small improvements on offense for Bam that have helped him become a more viable offensive player and a more versatile offensive piece the floater and short finishing near the basket is better this year and then the big one for me and we go all the way back to the start is defense now I have yet to do a full deep dive on him but at the least he is a very good defensive player I'm not saying he's a great defensive player not saying he should be 
Defensive Player of the Year right now. I haven't seen that just from watching other stuff in the Miami games, but I, I think we all agree he is a very good defensive player. And so the totality of him coming along as a higher-level defensive piece, as starting big, and then the positive contributions on offense. Again, this is a guy who has leapt all the way into sort of easy and all-star range. Is this a guy we have to talk about in the all-star conversation? And I'm not sure how many people considered him a top 100 player last year. I certainly wouldn't have had him as a top 80 or 90 player. For instance, Sports Illustrated in their preseason list had him 93rd. I'm not, I had all kinds of problems with that. I'm not pointing to that as a list of authority or anything like that. But I mean, this just was not a guy who I think many people would have thought of as a top 80, top 100 player, maybe last season. Maybe he's in that range. You know, maybe if you're in Miami, you thought a little higher of him. But now for him to sort of actualize in front of our eyes and become a really good basketball player, to me, he was the, I don't want to say clear-cut number two, but probably a guy who kind of jumped out as the strongest number two to me, and it comes back to that defensive idea. I don't think Bam is going to finish first or second in most improved player this year, but he's got a great, he's got a great case to be at the top of that list or near the top of that list, because number one is a landslide to me. Number one is Luka Doncic. This is such a landslide, it almost makes the rest of the exercise feel silly, because the rest of the exercise has nuance, and you got to think about, how do I think about the guy now versus last season, and are there is he in a better opportunity, and can we learn more? How does he fit on other teams? Luka's just like, wherever you thought of him last year, 42nd best player, 38th best player, 55th best player. He did not make my sub-all-star team. Um, I did look at him briefly at that point. I thought by the end of the season he was a top 60, top 50 player in that range. And then you and then you see what happened this year. I mean, he would be a number one in a landslide if he was closer to an all-star last year and still became an MVP type player. But to go overnight from like top 40, top 50 – to MVP. Let me just put some perspective on the numbers. In my box plus minus model, he's jumped almost six points. No one else here is over three. In PIPM, he's jumped five points to near the top of the league in both of those models. Where is it coming from? His passing has continued to improve. He's now one of the best passers in the NBA. Playmaking is incredible. Uh, scoring improvement. Let me Let me just go through some of these. The largest uh, improvement in scoring rate among any player this year, Luka Doncic, plus 8.4 points per 75. Devontae Graham was second, plus 8. Trey Young, third, plus 7.6. Largest improvement in my scoring value model, Luka Doncic, plus 1.8. Largest improvement in my playmaking value model, Luka Doncic, second, plus 1.7, tied for Malcolm Brogdon. Largest improvement in load, Luka Doncic. Largest improvement in free throw rate, Luka Doncic is third, plus 2.8. By the way, Jimmy Butler first, plus four. He's getting to the line way more. Not too much needs to be said beyond this. Just massive, massive improvement for Luka. I, there's a 
there's a tendency not to always reward first to second year jumps in most improved player. I don't know why it's some unstated philosophical rule. We will see if that holds this season. Because as fun as this exercise has been, and as painful at times as it has been splitting hairs among players who are, you know, 8th or 10th or 7th or whatever, trying to look at the different categories, trying to see where guys grow, to me, this is just a landslide, slam dunk, easy number one choice for most improved player of the year, and that's Luca. Once again, check out theathletic.com slash thinkingbasketballpod. Don't forget the pod. It lets them know that you listen for the free week trial, 50% off. You can access the, all the articles I mentioned earlier, the David Vanderpool piece, really cool piece on player development, working with players and young players from a defensive perspective as he's kind of the Timberwolves defensive coordinator. Also, if you want to support this podcast, as I mentioned, patreon.com slash thinking basketball is the place to go. Uh, you head over there, you can find different tiers, you can get articles, um, proprietary stats we have a, a Q&A coming up in February live Q&A so all sorts of fun stuff there community you can join check that out if you're interested in supporting the show and finding more basketball more thinking basketball content to recap here today my ballot if you will my my most improved players for 2020 and boy does it get murky uh, at times you could go a lot of different ways on this list but the discussion around each player hopefully was more fruitful than the actual list here's a list uh guys who are just on the outside looking in malcolm brogdon pascal siakam number 10 devin booker number nine royce o'neill number eight og ananobi number seven shea gilgis alexander number six Devonte graham Number five, I'm going to flip it and say number five is Trey Young. Number four is Jalen Brown. Number three, Brandon Ingram. Number two, Bam Adebayo. And number one in the landslide, Luka Doncic. That is it. Let me know what you thought of this podcast. Not just the players, but the exercise of going through and looking at material change among these guys from one year to this season and I will talk to you next week when we do the 2020 second annual sub all-star team till then have a great week. And I hope of course that you are all having a great day.